everyone has been saying like quarantine is unprecedented times and we're like okay are they and now everything going on in the news everyone is probably also associating as unprecedented but really it's like the least unprecedented thing like it is precedented af welcome to the fifth element a podcast for people seeking intimate connection with their innermost self through holistic healing cosmic consciousness and radical rebirth We hope each episode is an opportunity for listeners to join the collective journey towards intuition and integration. Yeah, so we are coming to you today. Um, There's a lot going on in, you know, everyone's world in America right now in every city. I feel like there's a lot going on in everybody's like body and staying in the house and feeling like, you know, we really need community right now and we really need to be getting out and doing things and then being plugged into your phone and just seeing all of these images and like everyone's pain and rage just like coming through your phone and it just feels so unnatural. Um because these are moments where you really want to like rally and get together and be in community and have your people around you. And we're definitely doing that. People are doing that, but there's like this added layer of this pandemic and all of a sudden social distancing is like forgotten, which good, (laughs) but (laughs) it's a lot going on right now. Well, it's these two layers, right, of um, with everything, all the racial justice issues that are being brought to light for to some people for the first time. Um, you know, people do have, generally speaking, more time on their hands to be confronted by things um, mm-hmm. and just like sit and watch the news and scroll through social media and see the posts and see the recordings that people are putting out on the internet and things like that. And so it's that on the one hand, but then, like you said, there's this other layer of, you know, we are being told not to be in person with people and it's so hard to sit with people in their grief and in their mourning and, and their emotions through a screen. Mm -hmm. And it takes a layer of like vulnerability and like capacity to empathize and sit with people away from the equation when that's what's happening. And now we're seeing people who, um, people of color who have not been heard for so long are like, no, like you are going to confront this. You are going to hear me and I'm going to go out into the streets and say it until you do. Mm -hmm. And so now we're at this kind of like crossroads of people being like, oh, like people need to speak up, but like, oh, it's dangerous or oh, like whatever, you know, it's just a lot of seemingly paradoxical things that like really aren't that paradoxical. Mm -hmm. And hopefully is a turning point for major radical change in this country that seems to take one step forward and 3000 steps back every single time, particularly for black people in America. Um, And I recognize as we're talking about it being like, difficult you know it's absolutely nothing compared to living 
in the body of a black person in America, obviously. And um, our audience right now is primarily white. So we are definitely talking to, you know, the communities we're a part of as white people that are primarily white. And I think that even saying these things today of just like calling out the fact that like, okay, my community is white, like that can feel confronting and alarming to some people and can feel very defensive of like, well, I have one black friend or like, you know, my college was diverse or whatever you want to say. And it's like, I don't know what it is. I, well, I have a couple theories, but just like, (laughs) I'm at the point where I'm like, I'm done. I feel like in college I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of like teaching and learning myself, obviously always learning. Um, I did a lot of like handholding and I'm just kind of past that. Like, I'm like, you have the ability as a person with a phone, like if you have a phone, Mm -hmm. then you can get educated. And it's definitely my, on me as a white person to educate white people in my community who want to know more, but it's also like, I'm done trying to make people understand why they should be educated or why they should care. Um, And it's not to say that I'm not going to be saying these things. It's like, I don't have time to engage with you and talk about why you should see um, that being a black person in America is a different experience than being a white person in America. I think that it's like this tipping point where it's like, you get it or you don't. Like you are anti-racist or you're racist and it is on you to now take that and I think a lot of like veils are being lifted and a lot of things are being stripped back right now and you can either live your life trying to cover up and like live in your little alternative reality or you can face the reality and I think this situation has taught me um, this situation being kind of like this pandemic has been like a lot of people facing realities that they haven't. And I think this is another layer of, okay, well, now it's time to face the reality that everything you've been taught about being a white person in America is a lie. And like, just wake up to that and everything will be easier. I promise you just like wake up to that, recognize that you've been lied to, recognize that you're wrong, which is the hardest thing for a person, particularly a white person of privilege or power to do. And I promise you, life will get a lot more expansive and full, and you can stop being so defensive all the time. So, yeah, that to say I am, like, wanting to, you know, obviously in my communities, especially just be, like, talking, educating, processing, because it's not on – it's not the responsibility or the burden of any Black person to do that – to talk to fellow, to talk to other white people about why they should see them, you know, as a whole person, um, and why, you know, they should care about their experience in America. It's definitely on white people to do that with other white people. But I think my approach now has just really changed drastically. And I think I realized how entrenched in privilege it was to be able to like just sit down with someone and just be like, um, you know, this is why you should be against police brutality. It's like, no, 
please, like, this is not a debate. Nothing about this is a debate. There's no opinions. It just is or it isn't. And that's just where I'm at right now because I think radical change needs to happen. And I could get into what I think that looks like, but I won't talk the whole entire time. <laughs> I mean, I would be happy to, and I'm sure many of our listens, listeners would as well, to just like sit and listen to you talk about all this stuff because you were my first like introduction to like race issues and I was one of those people that you sat with and like kind of held their hand and was like yeah but you you were but you were like I'm talking about the people who come in with an agenda to be right and not an agenda to learn you know what I mean like those people that are just like I think you can tell and I think that those are the people that are really holding us back right now that will just forever fight for their like white bubble of privilege to be preserved and don't want it to be like popped Right. Well, I mean, here's the reality is like those conversations are exhausting to you now because now we're like, okay, we're in our 20s and so many of our peers like who, not so many, but just like people who are like looking for that type of conversation. It's like, no, you're, you're an adult. Like Mm -hmm. if you've spent 20 years of your life, like thinking the exact same thing and never like questioning it, that's on you. Like I can't, I can't give you a different perspective for every aspect of your life. And like, also it's the burden of having to be the person to tell someone like everything you've ever like known and believed is wrong. Mm -hmm. Like that's not something you can just take lightly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm fine being that person again. Like I'm actually very fine with telling people that like you've been lied to. And I think, I think that perspective comes from me like, being in education and like studying education and being a teacher um, was like, oh, I'm actually being fed this curriculum of just straight up lies to teach to children and kind of recognizing like, oh, that's actually where this all comes from because we're being indoctrinated with how to look at the world. Like the way that we learn about racism is through a white lens. The way that we learn about everything is through this white lens. And that was very apparent to me because I was kind of like, oh my gosh, the reason I'm going into teaching is to be able to raise like critical thinkers or not raise, but be able to teach critical thinkers and be able to teach kids to be lifelong learners and always question and just like always be searching for, you know, knowledge. And it was more just that you, you teach them how to think about things, which is so like insidious and I think that we've all been through that process like we were taught how to think about things and it was all through a you know a a lens of privilege and um yeah so I've I have that like lens of of wanting to educate but it's also like the first thing that you just have to come to terms with is that you have to let go of the fact that you were taught correctly and it's not like you're you're trying to reconcile that you need to let go of that whole lens of thinking because you need to recognize it's a biased lens and i think that there are so many ways to go about you know everyone's like i don't know what the solution is or like how is there going to be a solution to racism it's so embedded and it's like well that's actually the beauty of this being lifelong 
work because it's embedded in everything. And that's why everyone can end it Mm. or, you know, can be part of the solution because everyone who is white is part of the problem. And so you can be part of the solution because whether you are a teacher or a business owner or a, um, like, why can't I think of any other professions? (laughs) Like, you know, a, uh, like a CEO or even like a janitor or, you know, all across the board, it starts with relationships. It starts with communities and it starts with yourself and your internal world. And I think like we've been talking on this podcast about people, our journeys, and then like people we know around us who have really been on this journey of kind of like going inward and really trusting your intuition and, and blocking out all of these other voices that have taught you how to think and taught you what to believe and like going on that journey to find your own intuition and your own voice. And I mean, I have empathy because that is so blocked for people. And it's because of, you know, it's because of a lot of outside factors, but it's also the most powerful thing in the world to be able to recognize that and go inward and find that voice. And I think that is the start of like anti-racist work because you have to declutter your mind of every other input that was coming at you that was telling you how to think from a certain lens, a lens of privilege. And admitting that you were wrong and you were lied to about everything and you might even be in a position where you're recognized, oh, where you're recognizing that where you're at in life and what you're doing and maybe like your job is actually contributing to these things can be so confronting. And so, yes, it's not easy, but I'm also at the point where I'm like, well, then get on the train or like get off because like the people who are on going to be on this train of like radical revolution of this world and like, you know, equity and power distribution, we don't have time to like really wait for people to do, you know, do all this work. It's like, there is no time for that. Like time is up. Time has been up, but like time is really up right now. I'm really feeling like that people are just done. Like I feel like right now for me as a white person in their 20s, this is the most radical I've seen both my white peers being and also um, like my black peers and just people I look up to in the black community being like, no, this is, this is it. Like we're stripping it down. Like this is done. And I think maybe it's, maybe it's the months of lockdown. Maybe it's like, you know, everyone's stress and anxiety just being already at an all time high. But I really feel like this is, this is like a tipping point right now, hopefully. So, um, I mean, and if we're going to talk specific, we could talk about a lot of things, but if we're going to talk specifically about police brutality, um, I think a lot of people really want to try to find like compromises and solutions. And I think I said this before, but I firmly believe now that you can't, you can't necessarily work within a traumatized and corrupt system without, like if you're a fully like healed and awake person, because 
why would you want to work in that system? You either want to abolish it or create a new system or co-create and integrate a new system of reality. And I found that through like teaching and recognizing that, oh, the type of teacher I want to be, actually, I would have to compromise that in order to fit myself into any of these corrupt systems. Because if I want to be an anti-racist teacher, then I'll like, if I'm working in an inherently racist system, I'm having to have parts of myself that are complying with that. Or, you know, if I'm a birth worker and I attend births in the hospital, there are parts of me that are saying, okay, I'm complicit with this obstetric violence and abuse against women because if the system that I'm in is inherently abusive and I'm there to, you know, help soften the abuse, why am I doing that rather than remove myself from the system, create a new system, put myself as part of the solution of a new reality and not just go along in this like corrupt, abusive, you know, racist, privileged system and hope that me as a person can just soften it a little bit. And I think that's where my huge shift came from. And I'm actually thinking back now, I think it was like hospital birth work, which like kind of made that the reality for me, which is wow. interesting. Well, okay. So then here, I mean, wow, we could spend days talking about a hundred different things you just said, but to like what you were just saying about removing yourself from the system in order to make like effective, sustainable change. Like our whole country is yeah. a racist system. So then what is, I think people are looking for like, I want to like help. I want to do something mm-hmm. productive. I want this to change. What what can people do in a system, our country being a system that was mm-hmm. founded on these things, that promotes these things, that is inherently all this stuff? Like how do we pull ourselves out of that system when it's just our whole reality? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I have to like ideas it's either co-creating new systems and new realities which is going to involve power distribution and reparations for black people and people who have been inherently marginalized and that i think this is why we never come to any solution or any change because that is going to involve people giving up their privilege and their power mm-hmm. and that and is just like something- straight up wealth <laughs> Yes, yeah. Like money is power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think people are will people are willing to do almost anything but that. And so I don't think I think that's why we we get a little bit closer and we're having conversations and we're creating dialogue and we're like doing diversity trainings, but when the system is broken or and I've actually been also hearing myself say the system is broken over and over like in my life in the past and it's like the systems are not broken. The systems are set up to mm-hmm. succeed in the ways that they were set up to succeed. Right. Um, and for the so, benefit of white people and for the purpose of failing people of color. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think creating new systems, um, which is going to involve an overhaul of society, and I don't, and I don't think people are, want to use their money in that way. Um, But then I also think, okay, systems are made up of people. And so that's why I'm really passionate about this spiritual work and this healing work, because if you are 
integrating into the true reality of who you are, you no longer are going to allow yourself to be parts of those systems. So any money that I make in life is going to be put towards new realities and new systems that I in, in full integrity align myself with. Any privilege or power that I have, I'm using in those spaces that are fully aligned with my values and mm-hmm. like um, that I just see so clearly. And I think like people are really scared. I mean, we talked about money a little bit, but this, this also changed my views on money because where you put your money is where, you know, that power goes. And so if we have a lot of people who are fully integrated, who are really awake to the reality of what's happening in the world and who are creating new, a new value system for themselves, um, you're not going to still be supporting these systems with your money. Like, um, yeah, I think I, and I'm not, I don't know a lot about money. And I think that that's actually on purpose as well. Like we don't learn about money. We don't Mm -hmm. learn how to spend our money and where to put it because I think that the systems at hand know how powerful money distribution and wealth can be, you know, and money isn't inherently bad. It's like, but we're taught that because money is usually in the hands of people who are like making bad decisions for the world. Um, so yeah, I think complete wealth distribution and, or, you know, redistribution, not, um, uh, yeah, redistribution and then doing the internal work to, you know, I think a lot of people are like, okay, what steps are you taking? What are you doing? And I'm kind of like, even that doesn't really even sit well with me anymore. Cause it's like, you can't really live two realities. You can't be a person who's benefiting from systems that are corrupt and racist and also doing racist work or also doing anti-racist work. Sorry. You can't really have your foot in both worlds. So I think that you actually need to become a person who's like living a fully anti-racist life like Um, actively not just like oh I'm like yeah like you can't if you're not actively pursuing anti-racism or like combating racism in like a really intentional purposeful way then you're complicit in the system and you're going to you're going to continue feeling helpless which is something I've seen a lot on social media And which has really been triggering for some of my black friends and for myself, but I recognize it's not as triggering for me as for them, but we're feeling helpless because that feeling of white people feeling helpless is them recognizing that they're embedded in all these systems and that no matter what they do, they're still going to be embedded. So there is this feeling of like, okay, but am I doing enough? No. You're not because you're still benefiting from these systems. And so, right. And well, and these feelings of helplessness are due to a lack of desire to confront these truths in yourself, right? Like if you were actively like addressing your privilege and confronting like, okay, where do I have power? Where can I funnel that energy into active change? You wouldn't be feeling helpless because if you're feeling helpless, you're just, you're just, bored and confused like you're giving your power away rather than having the power over your life i can do with my life what i want to right which is still actively oppressing people who don't 
have the same privilege that you have. Mm -hmm. Because now you still have all this power. You're just wasting it. Mm -hmm. You're just letting it like sit around in your comfortable home and your comfortable life. Yeah. Mobilize your privilege. Like I remember we had this t-shirt in college that said, check your privilege. And I loved it because I was like in that phase of my life then. And I was just like, everyone needs to wake up and check their privilege. But I wish it said mobilize your privilege because Mm -hmm. checking it is not enough because you can live with the fact that you're, I think a lot of people are now in that place, which is actually great. Like I think the, the term white privilege and, and knowing what privilege is and what it means is actually a lot more common, which is great. But I think that this, it's almost like when you're stuck, if you look at like trauma responses, mm-hmm. it's like fight, flight, or freeze. Everyone's stuck in this like freeze response, which is actually a lower level of a trauma response rather than fight or flight, which actually gets you to do something about it. Um, and I think we need to talk about how to effectively mobilize our privilege because I don't think there's enough education around that right now. And it's like as simple as look at your spaces that you're a part of as a white person. Okay. Look at your school, look at your friend group, look at your church, look at whatever extracurriculars you're a part of. Are they involved in anti-racist work? Yes or no? If not, how are you going to get that going or do something with that? Um, It's really not that difficult. You don't need to, like, you can start with yourself. You can start with the people that are around you. And that's the only way that I really feel like anything's going to change. Um, Because these issues are so, like we said, embedded in our culture of just like how we um, articulate the Black experience in America rather than, or um, as opposed to the white experience in America. And the white lens is so prevalent. It's, it's in the media that we, it's in the books that we read as kids. It's in the movies we watch, it's in the TV shows, and it's just embedded into our brains and we're still so segregated. So we might not have even grown up with any black people or people that have had different experiences at all than us. So that can only be combated by that same thing that fit into that, which is that daily consumption. Like who are you, what media are you consuming daily? Daily Is it all the same people, all the same voices, all the same lenses? What groups are you a part of? Are they all people with the same exact background? Are they all the same race? Like it's the solution is, or the problem always gives a clue to where the solution is. And if the problem is that, that we are all stuck in our own bubbles, then the solution is work in that bubble. And what can you do within that own bubble? You don't need to like go somewhere outside of that. It's like start right where you are. But at the same time, the only way to know that you're actively working to get out of the bubble is to have seen outside of it and to bring that perspective and that foresight into the system that you're in. Mm Mm-hmm right? Like you always have to be working towards something outside of the realm that you're existing in. Mm -hmm. And like, for me, I think that's when this all started. Like I like grew up in an area that I didn't realize at the time, but was like incredibly just everyone thought the same. Everyone looked the same, all of these things, because I went to like private Catholic schools in South Central Pennsylvania and like everyone just had the same political views everything and until I was taken out of that and like went to 
moved to Baltimore. And my very first semester of college in Baltimore was Freddie Gray Mm -hmm. and all of that. And at the time I was like, just so, I don't even think I felt helpless. I was just like, oh, this is just not something that I've ever had to deal with. And Mm -hmm. like people were concerned for my well-being. And I was like, okay. And I like agreed to that. I was complicit in that. And then you, um, and then like, I started like, you know, being in these like trainings and diversity and all this stuff. And, you know, I like lived overseas and all this stuff and slowly like inch by inch, my worldview started to expand. Mm -hmm. And then it's not until you're taken out of what's so familiar and comfortable that you realize just how small your worldview is. And like, I don't even think it was a worldview. It was like a view of central Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. like if that, you know? And so, um, yeah, like until you are taken out of what's familiar and what's comfortable and all these people that you like feel totally like safe and secure and like stable being around, you're never going to like question it. And it's not to say that there's no truth and that, you know, the places where you grew up are horrible or anything like that. But it's like, and like, if you have never questioned, like, is this how things should be done? Or why are things done this way? Why was I like raised viewing these things? What do I actually believe? Mm -hmm. Like if you've never questioned, if you think if like the things you think and believe are um, like you actually think and believe are different than what your parents have like raised you as or the communities that you grew up in. I mean, that's a sure sign right there that you need to do some work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that like that living in the bubble, like you said, like not having an idea of what's beyond, we can use that anger at these systems that have not taught us about those things. You know, like for me, I view the education system as, you know, it could be the greatest equalizer. It could be the place where Every kid in your city, regardless of um, income level, you know, in a public school could go and receive like non-biased, critical thinking, um, like a critical thinking approach to being an American citizen and like how to, how to think about things and learn about people and like develop empathy. I mean, I could talk a lot about like, reading and empathy like I did a research project in college on culturally relevant literature and how all the literature basically that we use with kids in schools even from six years old is white and written by white authors so what are the kids learning about they're seeing themselves reflect most you know white kids are seeing themselves reflected in these books and black kids are not and I mean if even if I'm thinking back I don't think I ever had a picture book as a kid with pictures of kids who didn't look like me. Right. Well, there's something that goes around like Twitter and Facebook. Um, Every so often it's like comment the like first time in your life you had a teacher who was black. Right. And every time that I see that it like strikes me. I'm like the first class that I had a black teacher was my very last class of graduate school. Wow. That's insane. And if I ever go back to teaching, I will be teach, which I won't because I am not going to be a part of that system anymore. But if I were, 
I would go teach some white kids and I would be an actively anti-racist teacher. And I think there's a lot of unlearning to do. And I think I used to think that, okay, I'm going to use my privilege and I'm going to go teach in underprivileged, quote unquote, that word, um, because no one is underprivileged. You just either your privileges were taken by privileged people. It's not like you just like did, it's not like you missed the mark. Right. Um, so Again, lots of, appropriated privilege. Right. So lots of people think, you know, I'm going to use my privilege and go teach in a school that needs me. The I could complex. speak for seven hours about that topic, but no, go to your people in your community. You know how to talk to your people. Like I was just talking with a friend last night, a white man, and I'm like, hey, you need to be talking to your white men friends because mm-hmm. like you, you can talk to your people, you know, like, and um yeah, I don't I don't even know where I was going. Well, with that. that's what we're that's what we're talking about when we're talking about like seeing outside of your bubble, but then being like co-creating within yeah. the space in the realm of power in the sphere of influence that you have and changing that. And then we burst the bubble and then we move to another bubble. Yeah. And then we we're and just it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I think a lot of anti-racist work can stop at, you know, looking within. And I also think this ties in with spirituality and faith where a lot of people will just internalize their faith or internalize their spirituality and not have any idea how to show that into the world. Or, you know, it's just recently that churches are talking about like social justice and activism. Um, And, even so it's like if you're if you're showing up at church on a sunday morning and your pastor is using vague terms like diversity in one human race and coming together in peace and love that is not enough jesus flipped i was a false i was literally <laughs> just gonna say like, lest we forget jesus flipped a table yeah like for capitalism, we right. flip the table for capitalism. Right. <laughs> like, I just think, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like the spiritual and emotional bypassing, right? Yes. Like, if you're going to church and, you know, there's crisis going on in the world in whatever capacity and you go to church because you want to be comfortable there, you're like, this is safe. I can go here because I know my pastor's just going to tell me, let's pray for this. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And you can check that off your list and you're good. You did your anti-racist work for the day. No. 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 (laughs) Also, Jesus was not white. (laughs) So if you go to a church and there's a picture of Jesus and he's white, I want you to have that conversation with whoever's running that church and be Mm -hmm. like, um, can you tell me? Tell me about this photo. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the littlest things like that. It's like, white people, what are you willing to just be silent on? And what are you willing to finally take action? Like, you could be taking action every single day in your life. Like, you could be an advocate every single day because that's how infiltrated we are with white supremacy, right? It's like, 
you don't have to just relegate it to one part of your life. Like, what are you willing to set boundaries around in your life? Like we talk about boundaries a lot too. And it's like, okay, are you going to be sitting in a group of people and um, a group of white people, if you're a white person and uh, they're like, you know, debating police brutality and whether or not it's right. Are you going to, let that conversation go on or are you going to think okay one of my values as a person is being anti-racist anti-racist this group of people right now is not within my value system so i'm going to speak up or you know leave that group of people and find a new group of people because what are you will your complicity speaks volumes if you're a person sitting there and you're silent and you're not speaking up because you're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And then, you know, you're posting on Facebook the, a day later, the people that were all there in that room with you are going to think, oh, okay, well, she's passionate about anti-racism. But when we were talking, she didn't say anything. So that must have been okay for me to say. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all about how you live your life. And I think that's actually easier, at least in my view of how I view life. It's like, oh, okay, so I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. I just need to cultivate these values within myself and then be true to myself and be that person. And I don't have to be living in these different like bubbles and lenses and masks my whole life. It's like, I can just be, I can just be a person in every situation that's anti-racist. Well, and this all goes hand in hand with what we talk about when we talk about the fifth element, right? Like stepping into your power and your power, let's use the word integrity. And mm-hmm. I feel like in every, like, religion classroom I was in growing up, there's like, this poster and it was, like, integrity is the person you are when nobody is looking. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> but integrity is also, like, the person that you are when, like, there's nobody calling you out for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, in order to be able to step into your power, to tap into your intuition, to cultivate and grow and actualize the fullness of your one true self, like, you have to stop operating through these character lenses or this, you know, code switching between, like, oh, it's not code switching even just, like, in different situations of, like, friend groups or, like, this is who I am at work and this is who I am at home and this is who I am with my friends that I've known my whole life and this is who I am with my friends from college. It's, like, there should be no code switching between this is me when um, everything in the world is okay, this is me on social media when, um, you know, there are, are, like, race issues going on in the news. This is who I am on social media when there's a global like health crisis. It's like, no, you need to have consistent branding so-called and this (laughs) branding needs to be true to like your actual self. But so many people aren't willing to like sit with themselves and figure out who they actually are and what they actually believe and challenge the things that they have grown up believing and learning to know if those are things that actually compose who they are and who they want to be in this world. Mm -hmm. And that inherently disconnects you from any, like, relationship with the things beyond this world. Yeah. If you can't sit with yourself and be like, this is who I am as a human being, as a flawed human being, as someone who wants to be in relationship with other humans, how the heck do you expect to be in relationship 
with something that's not in the world that you actively live in every day. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a spiritual concern for people oh, who are yeah. spiritually inclined. It's like, I'm sorry, I can't hope to be in relationship with God who's not even like physically in this world with me if I can't mm-hmm. sit with the people around me who are made in his image likewise, mm-hmm. who are literally right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or just being complicit in everyday evil. Mm-hmm. And I think a good question to reflect on as a white person is what are you scared of losing? Like mm-hmm. in these situations, are you scared that you're going to lose friends? Are you scared you're going to lose power? Are you scared you're going to lose privilege? Are you, gonna scare, are you scared you're going to say the wrong thing? Which, first of all, who freaking cares? Because that is an opportunity for people to teach you and for you to grow. So thank Thank the universe, thank God when you do get called out on something that was problematic that you said, because how else are you going to grow? You can't just be walking on eggshells, never saying anything because you want to say the right thing. It's like, how else are you going to expand your view in life? Like you have to be willing to be wrong. You have to be willing to be corrected. You have to be willing to know that other people know more about their own experiences than you. So, but also before you open your mouth, like maybe if you've never done any research or had conversations with people yeah. right there. Yeah, <laughs> Don't just sure. say stuff just to say stuff. Don't just, you know, social media is cluttered enough with, you know, people posting things that don't matter. So make the things that you post about these issues that do actually matter and are affecting people's literal lives, make those freaking matter. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's time to stop being scared about your follower count or about someone thinking that you're radical or, um, you know, that if you go, if you start examining your life too much, you might have to find a new career path. Like these things are in, are insubstantial, is that a word? Are not inconsequential compared to living as a black person with generations and generations mm-hmm. of trauma, with constant PTSD, in mourning and constant fear, like you're scared that a friend's gonna tell you that they don't agree with your views. Like that fear is nothing compared to living in a black body in America. So just reflect on that. Like what's stopping you from examining these things in yourself? And you know, I promise that it's really not that scary. It's actually liberating to just feel like you can let go of being so defensive and being so rigid in your worldview. There is nothing but just expansiveness and like empathy and growth on the other side of that. Like you're not going to lose anything by being willing to learn or like by being an open-minded person or an empathetic person um, besides your own rigid worldview, which I guess some people would probably, I just don't understand that, but I guess some people do value that over everything else, but that's just not how I view life. Well, because that brings a sense of security. So I guess like, I mean, if you're listening to what we're saying and there's dissonance there and it makes you uncomfortable, think for one second, maybe like what about what about my like views am i so insecure about that hearing people talk about their experiences of being oppressed mm-hmm. makes me uncomfortable and want to respond 
yeah with combativeness or a need to explain myself and that goes both ways for people who you know are who think they're doing a lot um like and are being anti-racist and it goes for people who think that like racism doesn't exist like both people are having responses fueled by insecurity and like you need to tap in deep to your, mm-hmm. in yourself and do some work to figure out what about this makes me so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, it is having to confront privilege in that way and realizing, okay, if I see the truth in this, if I validate these people's experiences that they're sharing with me, then I have to do something about it. You have to change your life. Like you really do. If you're living in that rigid worldview and you're going to open yourself up to that, it's, you're going to have to change your life. And like, you have to decide whether that's worth it or not. You have to decide if you're going to be complicit in oppression, brutality, inequality, and racism, or you're not. And like, I guess that's on you, but I'm not tolerant of that in my life. And I don't have a ton of people in my life, but the people that are in my life are aligned with me on this because how else could I be involved in anti-racist work if, if I'm, yeah, like that, that image of like living with one foot in and one foot out, like it's obviously up to everyone to decide what they want to do with their own life, but it's also up to every person to decide like who they want to surround themselves with, what they want to be involved in, what kind of work they want to do. Um, And that's also, it's a privilege to be able to step out of this capitalist system. But I think if you have the privilege and, and, you know, a lot of things are shifting during this time, people might be going a more independent route. People might be finding new creative ways to make money. If you have the privilege to be able to step out of this system that's oppressive, then I just implore you to mobilize that privilege and look at you know, what, how can you use your gifts and talents and skills and privilege to be involved in some way in this um, anti-racism and like anti-oppressive reality and co-create new systems. Mm -hmm. And we could tell you like, oh, give your money here, give your time here, whatever. But again, this is about people stepping into their own power, owning up to their own experiences and reflecting on what they truly believe and how you want to align yourself. And it's like, go out and do the research, sit with yourself, be silent, like reflect on what you, what kind of change you want to actualize in this world and what you want to see, what type of world you want to live in and find the resources and communities that are already doing that work. Mm -hmm. And give your time, your energy, your money, your resources, your attention, your social media posts, like filter it into that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's super deep. It's like, it even goes back to, you know, capitalism and the school system again. It's like, here's the one path that you have to go on. Don't stray from this path. You know, you, you see what you're good at in school. You see what grades you get. You look up what career you can do with whatever you're good at. You look at what makes the most money and then you go to college for that thing. And people just kind of go down that route without ever really tapping into, okay, what am I good at? What lights me up? What am I passionate about? Because we're not taught to do that, like, Mm -hmm. in schools, you know, that's kind of beaten out of us anyway. Um, And so often it's like we are funneled into 
these exact systems without any inherent time to just like sit and reflect on like what actually means something to us and who we want to be. And it's like, okay, here we are quarantine. Yeah. You got time in some capacity, you know, if work hasn't slowed down or anything like you, you have to make space for it. Yeah. And that's exactly what needs to happen. Right. Um, we will definitely include resources in the show notes. And if anyone wants to talk to me, I am extremely passionate about these topics and just like educating people in general. But just know if you're going to come into the conversation wanting to remain um, in your privilege and wanting to remain seeing the world through a strictly white lens, I'm probably not the person to talk to because I don't really care about coddling your feelings at this point because it's past it's past protecting that it's about now really the work at hand is not about you anymore so we can give you a second um and then you got to do that work yourself and go inward like everything that we've talked about um and that's a lifelong journey and then how are you going to mobilize that privilege and you can do that just by looking within your own community have you talked to your family during quarantine about what what's going on about all this start there start with your parents like what are what what news are you watching what images are they seeing how can you diversify um the sources that your family is getting this information from how can you um share other outlets and share other means of information and share other voices and share other perspectives um it just start like right within your own family and that can sometimes be the hardest conversations but that's where you can start to practice that muscle of being in integrity and not allowing people to shut you down completely of doing this work you know if they don't see that same perspective are you just going to give up and then think okay well i guess that'll be my perspective too are you going to hold true to what you have now discovered to be your perspective and your truth even when the people closest to you have other ways of looking at the world that can be really confronting but you need to confront this stuff like as a white person this is your work and it's nothing compared to what black people are experiencing mm -hmm. right now. So just do it. And have like, been experiencing. Oh yeah. Right. Right. So that's kind of like where my like bluntness comes from because it's like, you can't compare like having a difficult conversation with your racist uncle or whoever doesn't compare to generations and thousands of years and since the beginning of time oppression and violence and erasure mm -hmm. so there's another tweet that's been going around and it's like if you're exhausted by conversations about racism just imagine like what it's like to live it every single right. day yeah. and we can't we can't imagine it we no. we literally can't but we have to keep, like, trying to do something about yeah. it. Yeah. 
like I don't I don't know what it feels like to you know be a black person in America I don't know what that's like but I know from the definition of what racism is that it's not okay Mm -hmm. and so we have to keep doing stuff to combat it Mm -hmm. um I was listening to uh this morning, Reverend Scott Adams um, is a pastor in Baltimore um, and worked with him in college. And he was giving his Sunday sermon this morning on Facebook. Um, and he was talking about, he had a lot of like Old Testament biblical references um, about uh, like writing and like rising up, et cetera. Um, but one of the things he was saying was, he said, we have too many for-profit prophets Uh wow yep yeah too many people trying to you know do good spread the word right change for their own sake and there is no time space room anything for that right now no and that goes you know even to the level of like social media of like why there's another post a really good one going around social media right now about like things white people need to like evaluate in the things that they're posting on social media and it's like this whole long like checklist of like reflections of like why are you doing this what are you hoping to get out of it like blah 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 all this good reflection but it's like why are you posting something are you posting just to like again check the box check the Mm -hmm. privilege of like oh i'm just doing this to so that people don't think i've been like silent Mm-hmm. Or to get a thank you. Mm-hmm. No one, you, no one has to thank you for doing the bare minimum, which is anti-racist work. No one needs to thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not about you. It's not. No, the whole system is about you. We're trying to bring light to people who it's not mm-hmm. about, and who not only is it not about, it's actively against. That's. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why that's like kind of my root of like why I don't think we can try to participate as anti-racist people in these racist systems. And I think it's like because it's because the end goal is oppression and the end goal is keeping a certain group of people out. And so how are you just going to try to swim upstream against that? Like how are you as a white teacher going to go into a school of black kids knowing that the outcome of that school is a, is a school to prison pipeline, mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. that the outcome of that curriculum is to keep, is to keep kids from questioning, is to keep kids from learning about the true reality of America. Well, and the redlining before they even get to the school that's right. leading to that. Yep. It's like being on a train and like you... Okay, there was this episode of Full House where like DJ gets on this like flight because there's oh, some I know cute it boy. Well. And mm-hmm. she's like, Oh, where is this going? And he's like, Oakland. And she's like, Oh, Oakland, California. And then she realizes it's going to Auckland, New Zealand. <laughs> right. From San Francisco. And it's like, okay, at that point, are you just gonna sit there and fly to the other side of the world when you can't do that? Or are you gonna try to get off of it? Yeah, new route. Yeah. And Christians, you know, who have really 
historically been silent about all these things. So much of Christianity talks about like co-creating this new reality with God. Mm-hmm. And like, that's why, that's why I just think that there is this tipping point happening right now. And maybe it's the end of the world, you know, would be nice, but there's so much in every, you know, spiritual tradition that just talks about like new reality and like this co-creation. And I think people have just been trying to semi do that all these years through these oppressive systems and that's not going to happen. And it's like every, every teaching, every road leads to the end goal of like new systems, new power structures, new realities. Um, and that's something that's like in the Bible, which is also <laughs> historically <laughs> problematic. Um, but yeah, I guess the just, you know, this brief conversation, which is a conversation that occurs pretty daily with me and my friends, like with us, you know, us, this mm-hmm. is a conversation that we would have regularly. I hope that it just inspires you to think a little bit more about where in your life you can be mobilizing your privilege. I'm done telling people to think about like their privilege because please, if you haven't done that already, obviously do, but like it's time to act and it's time to move beyond, um, you know, diversity trainings. It's like, how is it being actively implemented? And if once again, if you're, if you're showing up in spaces that aren't talking about this, if you're showing up in spaces that, are, you know, that don't have active plans to be doing anti-racist work in their organizations, then maybe you need to rethink the, the places that you're a part of right now. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of upheaval that needs to happen. And um, that's part of the process. And it's like with childbirth, it is painful and it's pain with a purpose and it's intense and it like opens you up to this new reality and this new role that you have as mother. And if growth and new reality was meant to be easy, then a baby would just like arrive on your front step, like perfectly wrapped up in a little blanket. It's like, it's supposed to decimate you. It's supposed to bring you to the underworld, making you question everything that you believe and like, that's the only way that birth, like birthing something new can come. It doesn't just come easy. It comes from intense, difficult, soul-wrenching work. So, yeah. I mean, literally tearing you apart. Mm-hmm. From the place you were created. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah, I hope that our listeners know this is embedded in every conversation that we have about spirituality. This work is embedded in every conversation we have about health, about justice, about power. Um, we recognize that a lot of spiritual spaces are white. And so how are we being anti-racist even in our spirituality work, even in anything that we're doing around astrology, like how, where are the roots of those coming from? How are we going to be amplifying and elevating um, 
black voices and marginalized voices in these communities. Um, so yeah, just wanted to, you know, this is obviously, we're talking about current events right now. We're talking about police brutality um, right now, but it's also these, all, all these issues are embedded in every topic that we speak about on this podcast because it's not something you're able to separate from privilege, power, everything is wrapped up um, in the way that you live your life. So these are conversations that we will have, have been having and will continue to have um, and will never shy away from because you can't just live your life open and in one area of your life and not every single other area. Right. And if it is easy for you to disassociate from these conversations and to separate your everyday life from conversations about race, that's square one for you. Mm-hmm. Gotta start Start right where you are. Start somewhere. Start, you know, libraries aren't open right now, but uh, can get books other ways and podcasts and um, videos, and we'll definitely include a few of our favorites, but... Um, Start where you are and don't just get up and leave while it's uncomfortable because discomfort is nothing compared to death and violence and oppression. (laughs) Bye.